praise. My poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. That was 700 months ago from today. A speech by Martin Luther King Jr. delivered on August 28, 1963 from the steps of Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. Those are the most known words from his speech. But there were others that pointed to the source of the dream and hope. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. As the nation celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day this past Monday, I was reminded that there is a lesson for all of us to remember to be the salt in this world, well, like he was. Salt that preserves the good morals, that guides the nation out of darkness, out of its convoluted and evil practices, laws, beliefs, and into the light. Whether we will bring about the change or not, we are to proclaim and fight for the truth in peace. It's Saturday, January 22nd, 2022, and today, before we go through the top stories that mattered this week, we'll spend a bit more time in the following two stories. Take a look at Biden's presidency as it marks one year, and a response to the new Canadian C4 law. Welcome to Lifering, a podcast where we strive to provide you with a well-rounded review of what is going on in the world between Monday and Friday of this past week. My name is Alex, and today we're going over the stories with a Lifering podcast co-founder and a regular host, Vadim. Thank you for joining me, man. Always a pleasure. Yeah, we're doing a, a new thing today. Um, we're sitting in remote locations, abiding by quarantine paradigm. It's uh, it's called uh, adjusting to the times and and going the most efficient route. It's okay. We're we're in this together. That's right. How are you doing, man? Uh, not too bad. Actually, pretty exciting. I I joined a book club for the first time in my life. Oh, right and on. So yeah, it's it's been really fun. You're liking it, huh? Yeah, for sure. You have a book recommendation, or you want to go through it and then recommend it? I just finished it, and it's. Uh, I'm just really confused. I need to process it. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Yeah. Did you? Um, so I know I'll be talking about how the cases around the country are going down, but locally we experienced a surge of sickness. Did it hit you? Yeah, I was down with it, like right before New Year's, actually. So mm-hmm. it kind of got to me. I don't know if that's early or late, but because I know you you had it a little bit later. Yeah. About tenth of that's why we skipped yeah, the last the episode. I, we like I, w- I was just my family has been down for two weeks at this point, so dang, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's weird because like it doesn't really feel any different from like a regular seasonal flu, but at the same time, it's weird that it's it's spreading so fast. Yeah, I actually couldn't tell you whatever we had. We've never went and tested. We just sort of stayed home and weathered it out. It was just like another flu. Well. uh All right, let's dive into our next segment. We live in the United States of America, and what a privilege that is. What a blessing it is. You know, we have been 
blessed beyond measure, I think, personally. It's a country of opportunities, country where there's a sense of democracy, where there are rights, there are responsibilities that come with those rights, and so on. So compared to the rest of the world, at least to the majority of the world, this is a great place to live. There are opportunities for every individual here to succeed. Now, not every individual goes after those opportunities. Everybody has their excuses. But, And I make this long-winded introduction because I'm about to review what has happened over the past year. Right? And it's, and it's going to be a critical uh, overview or review. Specifically, I'd like to take a look at Biden's presidency. Now, I've read a few articles um, you know, reviewing what he's done and would like to share some of my thoughts on how I think uh, this past year went and Vadim's going to pitch in as well. Uh, again, this is just our view, but I think it will probably reflect uh, what the country is feeling right now, at least uh, partially, because there are people on the other side who tend to overlook all the bad and look at all the good. We're going to look, I guess, at both. At least we're going to try to. There's there's certainly a lot of material. Yeah. And so you, you remember at the beginning of the year, everybody was kind of in a gloomy state. Uh, the future looked bleak and the possibility of new and better year went out with the departure of Trump is what it felt like. That this year is just going to be a horrible year. I mean, this is like the beginning of the world's collapse. And yet here we are, a year later, still alive. The world didn't descend into anarchy just yet. So in the fashion of looking back over the year and learning what we could do better, let's look back at uh, Biden's year in office and realize that there's not a lot of doing it better for Biden, you know, not in the past year nor in the next three to come. So as of this year, the rating shows that a majority of the country disapproves of Biden and Harris administration. I think it's around 46% uh, versus 54. So 46 approval, 56 disapproval. They're saying that the partisan gap from the latest Gallup poll was 83%. Partisan so the begin- gap meaning like the difference in opinions between parties? Right. I don't know if it's Republicans necessarily warming up to Biden or Democrats getting disillusioned. The Republicans dropped by half. Their opinion oh, wow. uh, never really went above its beginning opinion. So if anything, it dropped. But also so did the Democrats. What they're saying is it's the largest gap at the end, I guess, of the presidency between two parties. Well, let's see what areas we can talk about. I think the first one is um, that, that kind of stands out. A year ago, you know, he vowed to, quote, restore the soul of America. And he was saying that unity is the only way we can go forward and face all the challenges ahead. He was saying it's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature and see each other again. So this first one is about unity. How do you think he did on unity? I mean, talking the talk versus walking the walk. Did he mention it in the in this most recent speech? The most recent you're talking about, like the the one about addressing the one that was like year? like yesterday or two I days ago, whatever. I didn't listen to it at the anniversary. Oh, okay, I tried to, but it was difficult. Um, I remember moments from this year where um, it was it was plainly obvious that unity was not his uh, was not something that he was personally striving for. I can recall moments, you know, talking about. Uh, and I know we're all tired of, of hearing about this, but the the attitudes towards people that that are reluctant to be vaccinated, right? And so he'll be like, our patience is wearing thin and like we're trying to be, well, he's, he's making it out to be like, we're trying to be the grownups here and, and, you know, just a bunch of preconceived notions. And then once people are not aligning with that, he, he makes it look like that's some moral collapse within them rather than um, rather than trying to reconcile the sides. And that's blatantly obvious, and I don't know why he even bothers trying to... Um, you, could, you could write as many unity-themed um, 
statements into your speech as you can. But in the end of the day, when he goes off script or when he's challenged or the way he continues to, you know, sort of address uh, the other side, it just it just seems like it's throwing oil into the fire. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, like what would he even from listening to like 10 minutes of that speech um, a few days ago, like what would he talk about if there was no if there was no new, you know, new virus going around? Exactly. And so that's, you know, leading into the next question, the pandemic. It's really one of his top victories is what the stuff that had to do with with the pandemic. And one of the things he said, you know, is he met his goal of 100 million doses within the first 100 days in office. But according to CNN, even despite his urging, nearly 40 percent of population still isn't fully vaccinated as of this month. The whole year was marked by Delta, Omicron. The whole year was marked by forced vaccination. You know, and that federal mandate that was just overthrown this past week, right? The one for the companies uh, with over 100 employees, it was blocked right, by Supreme right. Court for being an overreach of federal power. And yet he saw all these things as uh, one of his, you know, top achievements. That was his contribution to or eradicating the pandemic, which hasn't happened and doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon, to be honest. it's Yeah, I don't mean to expand on it more than more than we intend to, but the very idea that like if Omicron had appeared on its own, like in kind of what we've been experiencing in the last few weeks, right, with just a really fast spreading flu-like mm-hmm. disease, like if Omicron had appeared without all the stuff that preceded it, you could say, you know, the Delta and the um, whatever the first one is, then there would be no possible way to bring the reaction around to where we stand today. And the way that we're talking about it today, like it's if it appeared on its own without all this baggage bringing it in, it would not be a big deal at all. We would not even be able to really distinguish it, I don't think. Yep. Go, go into the next one, which, of course, the, the blame for all economic decisions now can also be put on the pandemic. Right. But if you look at the economy, uh, there were some decisions were, that, that were made, you know, that they're proud of, but could harm us in the long run. For example, CNN pointed out that. Uh, And I quote, the president has had some legislative victories, uh, signing a 1.9 trillion economic relief plan in March and a 1.2 trillion infrastructure bill in November. But he and the Democratic leaders are finding it hard to enact enact some of the bigger reforms of their agenda. Right. So they're looking at these as victories, like we're going to spend a ton of money into trying to make something better. Uh, ignoring the whole bureaucracy that kind of led us to this point. And so that it's, well, that it's, it's been not, misappropriated. Yeah, the question is not like, you know, we didn't have enough money. The question is, whoever right now is running things is not running it good. So dumping more money into there is not going to solve the problem, right? And then there's great resignation, which happened this November, um, where millions of people were losing jobs because they were forced to undergo a medical procedure that the government had no right to mandate in the first place, as we learn in the beginning of this year, right? So who's going to take the responsibility for that, right? And and how many of these decisions did we have along the way where organizations like CDC could not figure out where they stand on and they would just mandate something causing, you know, this domino effect that continues to go into this, you know, upcoming year where inflation is at its highest in the least in at least, you know, 30, 40 years. And all of it because at some point they decided to shut down. At some point they decided to implement measures that would just restrict people from doing their job properly. At some point, 
companies lost their business, lost their employees. And, and so it's like, it's just, man, it trickles throughout the whole system. It's one thing to have inflation at, at the place that it's at, if we understand why it brought us here, but just at least, like, let's be honest about where we stand and not and not act like people are, like someone's gone crazy for bringing it up or, or for criticizing in that regard, you know? Like, let's get a little bit of transparency and at least, like, being on the same page of where where we stand, right? Like, you talk about core inflation. The number they always bring up is, you know, from December 2021, it was up, whatever, 5.5%, mm-hmm. right? But that takes in account, you know, the change in cost of goods and services. It doesn't necessarily include the cost of food and energy sectors where we see prices going way up, um, up way higher than 5.5%, right? Yeah. Um, and so I just think that's been a common theme this year too. It's just a lot of, I would say gaslighting, but that it's almost like it's not even ironic at this point. All right. So uh, what about border? You have anything to say about border? I know that was like a big thing in the beginning, but... Maybe it's anecdotal, but I've definitely seen a lot of non-Hispanic people even taking advantage of the open borders, you know, where you can come in and basically just walk in. I mean, if you get if you get turned around at the border and come back the next day and see how your luck plays out. Yeah, and that would be the other part. Well, first of all, it was a logistical failure, which the Democrats at the beginning of the year failed to recognize completely, right? Um, but then on the other side, you do have... You know, these are people looking for a better life. But then again, who said we're the country that just sort of offers better life to anybody who comes in? Like there, there are laws in place to protect the well-being of the country itself. And so we, we've seen a that Biden from his side, I mean, and Harris, both of them just were failing at managing the situation at the border. Then there's Afghanistan. And that's also something that, you know, where he achieved uh, something here that, previous three presidents have failed to do you're right to say that he did do something that the previous presidents did not do but that doesn't mean that none of them could have done it if that makes sense i mean in the fashion that he did it probably everybody could have done it <laughs> you know yeah that's the thing is yeah, like it's right. such a <laughs> uh, like i don't want this to sound insensitive but like it's kind of it's like oh we took the troops out of afghanistan you happy now and then well no, because it's complete. It was just a disaster. It's almost like he, he needed a, you know something to, to accomplish. And this was one of those things. Because in the end, again, another logistical nightmare. Yeah, there's a lot to expand on there, especially with the, with the role that America does play on the, on the global scale. You know, we had, uh, I mean, there's conflict in Ukraine and Russia that's, that's brewing, you could say. And then um, all the stuff in Ethiopia that's um, that's erupted in the last few months. And I mean, the U.S. has stayed out of that, at least on an official capacity. But, um, you know, these kind of tests for a president, they're happening. You know, this is not one time in, in your presidential term you're going to have to make a decision like this. And this was just, just a colossal failure. And then the other thing he was trying to, I guess, ride off the wave of the previous year with all the protests that we had going on. He was trying to do some policing reforms. Uh, he promised to create a national police oversight commission that never worked out. Uh, apparently tried to pass a few, like the George Floyd bill, if you remember, that was also part of his doing. None of that worked out. However, we can say, uh, I don't know if we can blame him for this or not, but we did see certain reforms that sweep the country and they were not towards you know a good direction. I mean, what's happening right now with police will need more digging into. Um, 
before I want to make a comment, I think I think Stan might have a story about that. You'll ask him next week. But I have a feeling that, you know, this National Police Oversight Commission or whatever they were talking about, that might crop up again around summer of 2024. And, you know, with all of this, like, there is, uh, I think there's a national recognition of the fact that we do need to have some policing reforms, but that they're, they should be done in, in the same way that you would approach any other industry, really. Rather than tying hands, you would want to have programs in place that are, you know, um, held holding the officers accountable right why tie the hands of all the police officers where instead you should be just giving the tools or giving i don't know the opportunity for the state to prosecute the people for the crimes when they are committing them right and i'm talking about for the for the police officers that are committing those crimes so i i guess there's a better way to approach it rather than just saying all right we're just gonna you know chop the police force in half or we're gonna you know, take away half of their responsibilities, place it on social workers or, you know, all the other ridiculous things we've seen and heard, which in reality do not take care of the bad guys in the police force. They are still there. Police officers that either need anger management classes or just need to be pick a different field of work. Anyways, moving on to the final, but not by any means last uh, of the, you know, there's a lot of things I guess we could have talked about, but climate, that was another topic, um, or another area of work uh, where Biden uh, has seemed to make some strides by rejoining the Paris Climate Accord and, you know, push the, what is it, 1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, which is pretty much a, a bill to move the green companies to the forefront in the country and ensure that... Um, basically sub- subsidize the future that we want to see. In- or, I guess, tying up the federal money into the progressive agenda. Yeah, very, very big stretches of logic. But Did you know that, I, I, I think I mentioned this uh, in the past, but our town of Mount Vernon in Washington, you know, it's up north uh, on the map. You can probably not see it on a map of the United States, uh, but it's just above Seattle, an hour away from there. Our town will be the, like our library right now that they're building or about to build will be the largest uh, electrical vehicle charging station in the state. Oh, I wanted to say in the country, but I don't think in the country. But in the state, in Washington state at the very least. And we're like a small town. I didn't know they were building a library. Yeah, we're getting a new library. There's going to be, uh, it's going to be pretty big. Two, three What's stories. wrong with the old one? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, infrastructure money coming in, you know? I, I think we, we were able to get a chunk of that pie. Nice. Yeah. All right, so favorite moment of Biden this year? I'm reminded of so much buffoonery. What was your favorite moment? I don't know if I would say favorite, but I was like, I was looking through what CNN was highlighting and most they, memorable. Right, they they highlighted the the March 19th uh, steps fail where he was stepping. Oh, so, like so it's up, like up on the plane. Yeah, but instead of showing a picture of how he's going up the stairs and failing, it was a shot from the side where you could not see him the only thing you see is the stairs and then he's his hand holding onto the rail and what the article the way they you know the short snippet was written is like in the end when he fell he was still holding on to the rail with his life i don't know it's like the focus was that he a, didn't fall nice completely to, huh? to reframe it yeah he didn't he didn't fall completely he held on it was just too windy that day and the stairs were shaking which again i, I give it to him he is an old guy and 
you know, who knows how I'm on, how I'm going to be walking when I'm 80, if I'm still alive. Like I said yeah. previously, like it's pretty low hanging fruit to make fun of stuff like that. Even though when it was happening, I admit it was, uh, it was something. I mean, uh, there's just so many moments like that where you're like, okay, was that a slip up or is that just how he is all the time? Like, uh, do you remember when I can't remember if it was also around March, probably where he was like, he hurt himself after getting out of the shower and chasing his dogs around or, but he like broke his foot or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or, and maybe we just haven't had a president like with his exact living situation. Like he doesn't live with his family. Really. He just has he just has his wife, right? Mm-hmm. So there's none of that, like all the coverage you get around, like, for example, Obama with his family or Trump with his family, like you have, right. um, there's like, here's Biden. And then the animals that he lives with. I, I think there's not a lot we can expect from a secular leader, especially in a Western country. And so with all of the criticism and all the comments that we make about Biden, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. At the end of the day, when we bow our knees as a family, almost every time we pray for the president, for Biden specifically, we pray that God would guide him, uh, that he would bless him so that we would continue to have peaceful times in this country. Keep in mind that while we get peaceful time, it is not just so that we could you know, get through our life uh, in the most comfortable way possible, but so that we could glorify our Father in everything that we do. And while we have the time and the freedom, Our calling is to expand God's kingdom and to proclaim the good news. All right, so in the world of COVID this Thursday, the federal government uh, apparently began sending out free at home rapid COVID-19 tests. So... Ooh, yeah. Did you get yours? No, but they, they actually ran out of... Like the Washington's inventory as of today is currently out of stock. Apparently millions of people placed their orders. Oh. And that's going to be through, you know, through the snail mail. Did you see the little thing I had at the bottom of uh, our notes? Yeah. Yeah. The irony of sending like, yeah. rapid COVID tests through U.S. mail. <laughs> that's not going to be Operation there. Operation Warp <laughs> Speed 2.0. Right. So overall, the average numbers are declining almost in all categories. Uh, seems like Omicron is fading. Now, a few other things worth mentioning... Uh, here's two stories in one. Now, this is according to Associated Press. Starbucks is no longer requiring its U.S. workers to be vaccinated against COVID-19, reversing a policy announced earlier this month. In a memo sent Tuesday to employees, the Seattle coffee giant said it was responding to last week's ruling by U.S. Supreme Court in a 6-3 to three vote. The court rejected Biden's administration plan to require vaccines or regular COVID testing at companies with more than 100 workers. Here's what they're saying. We respect the court's ruling and will comply. That's what the chief operating officer at Starbucks wrote in memo. And when, when, when you hear the whole, we respect the court's ruling and will comply, that usually only, you only say that when you're willing to comply with court's ruling, <laughs> where, where, where you are okay with it. Be it something else, like in relation to some kind of... Um, something that doesn't align with the progressive agenda, that court ruling would not be respected or complied Mm. with. You know what I mean? I wonder if this is part of not wanting to seem like he's going against the progressive agenda where he's like, oh, well, the court said so. My hands are tied. You know, even though like he's fully, um, I'm pretty sure private corporations can still have mandates, right? 
Absolutely. I, I just think that they probably are concerned about staff shortages. That's been an oh issue. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine trying to hold people down in this oh, yeah. in this job environment, like especially in the service industry? Yeah. So our next story, I don't know what you would call this, education. Uh, an article from Newsweek: Oregon students uh, not having a clue about how much the average American earns has sparked. Uh, an onslaught of jokes and memes. Uh, basically, so there was, I think there was like a poll. This is a professor of legal studies and business ethics at Wharton. And she asks, uh, I guess, a whole bunch of students what they thought um, the average American worker makes per year. And 25% of them thought it was over six figures. Um, one of them thought it was 800K. Not really sure what to make of this. The real number is 45,000. Um, so that tweet blew up and people are kind of responding and making fun of him. It's like, uh, <laughs> there's somebody that replied and said, I'm sure there are plenty of homes in New York city that cost a hundred grand. And it's just kind of making jokes about out of touch, uh, people living in a bubble. And I think there's, there's merit to that. Like, um, if it's an average of the people, you know, in your social circle, you're going to be, you're going to settle into an average, no matter who your, your surroundings are. Right. So. Yeah. All your peers are making 100K. You're going to think you're going to be one of those people that's like, oh, what's minimum wage now? Like $30 an hour. <laughs> and then there's so. the guy who's like 800K. <laughs> I don't know if he was joking or he was just like, dude, I don't know. I tried to go as low as I think I can. <laughs> 800K. Yeah, that has to be. A <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the other part of it is, um, and this was a comment, uh, I believe, somewhere here. Basically, these are students who are studying economics. They should be way more informed on what's going on in the country and what is the reality because they're going to be the ones, you know, affecting it. They're going to be the future CEOs and executives, right? You would mm -hmm. expect them to be more in touch with reality than, than that. According to Christian Headlines, the United States has passed the tragic landmark in 2022 with its 63rd millionth abortion since Roe v. Wade, an eye-opening number that pro-lifers say should awaken America to the consequences of the 1973 decision. Now, the exact number, at least as of yesterday, in the U.S. was 63,459,781 child killed in the U.S. That's, um, and looking at these numbers, the highest number of abortion apparently happened in the year that I was born, 1990. And the least, I think, was 2021 with like 800,000. Um, so another March for Life in Washington, D.C. happened this past Friday. Uh, it's an annual event. And considering the pending Supreme Court case, there's hope that this will be the last anniversary of, of this March for Life. Let's state this again. Abortion takes a baby's life. That's the most cruel assault on the most defenseless and vulnerable child and it should be recognized by our society as such. So this next story is from The Hill. Um, M&M's characters are going to become more inclusive, apparently. So uh, the company came out with a statement. I think it was the vice president um, talking about how uh, some of the M&M's characters, you know, the anthropomorphic uh, uh, whatever that they use in advertisements and you see on all the, all the packages and stuff, that they're going to be more nuanced and they're, uh, they're going to be part of a global commitment to create a world where everyone feels like they belong and that society is inclusive. So 
the green M&M, for example, uh, previously seen in ads posing seductively and strutting her stuff. This is from the article mm-hmm. uh, in white go-go boots. And so I guess now she's going to wear a pair of sneakers. Um, the brown M&M described her motto as not bossy, just the boss. Uh, that's the other female M&M, I guess. There's another one that's orange and um, I guess this one has like anxiety disorder or something, like really nervous looking M&M. Um, so I guess that's meant to represent those people but um but he's gonna actually the orange one is gonna be more um he's gonna deal with his anxiety apparently better oh okay so there's gonna be a character arc yep i see well i mean and the red one i think uh, is gonna be less angry he's gonna be more in in tune with his environment and understanding of people or something like that yeah wow this is this is like this stuff is iconic, right? It's been since they're saying it's been since nineteen forty one is when they were first uh, released. So right, so now they're like personalizing the. Well, they're getting the, woke essentially. Is is what's happening to M and M's? Maybe I just don't. Maybe I'm out of touch. But are there people that are shopping and then you see some M and M's on the <laughs> on the shelf and you're like, you know. I'd buy them if I could relate to those anthropomorphic <laughs> candies a little more. Like, I I don't get it. Yeah. Around 11 a.m. on Fox Street, uh, that's near Intervale Avenue in Longwood, Bronx, New York. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, you, you, you know the area? Uh, I've been around the block a couple times. Right. So, anyways, so a, a home exploded in uh, flames this past Tuesday. As a result, eight people got injured. And one 77-year-old woman died. So three women were inside the house. One died as a result of explosion. The other one was carried out by bystanders, I assume, because she was on the ground by the house when the firefighters arrived. And one was trapped inside and later was carried out by these same firefighters. Even though, so they went into the building, then they went out. And later you could see that there was another explosion that uh, happened. So they were... Mm -hmm. But they were able to get her out before that, which was pretty cool. Um, they're both in critical condition. Out of the three, one died. Um, and the other, because I said what? I said eight people got mm-hmm. injured? Yeah. The other three were apparently the cops. They suffered injuries from smoke inhalation. But they're in stable condition, according to New York Post. Yeah, and it seems there was something like 200 firefighters and EMS people involved. They said there were reports of gas order in the morning, but the exact cause mm-hmm. is still under investigation. So this next article is from CNN, um, and the title reads, FBI identifies hostage taker at Texas synagogue. So I don't know how closely you've been following the synagogue uh, hostage story. So Governor Greg Abbott tweeted uh, about 20 minutes after they heard a large bang and gunfire from the synagogue um, that prayers are answered and all hostages are out alive and safe. Um, so we're happy about that. But he was making, he was like making demands to release the lady Al Qaeda or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's serving like an 86 year sentence in a uh, in prison right now, and so he was. And she's the sister make, of this uh, guy who was holding them hostage, right? Is she a sister? I thought they were just allies or maybe, whatever. Maybe yeah, maybe he was just maybe that's a a sister in a sense of uh, we belong to the same group type of deal. Yeah, she was apparently the only the only female on the 
on the U.S. Al Qaeda watch list in 2004. So that's an achievement. He arrived oh, leg- wow. legally in December. What was that? It says he's a British national, so he lived yeah. in lived in England or something. Yeah. Huh. Anyways, so yeah, Tonga apparently is a Polynesian mm. kingdom of more than 170 South Pacific islands, many uninhabited. Most uh, lined in white beaches and coral reefs and covered with tropical rainforest, according to Google. It's basically between American Samoa on the right and Fiji on the left, if we're looking at regular map. Um, closest big island is New Zealand, or big land, I mean. The next big land is Australia, to the left. Uh, according to Red Cross, estimated 80,000 people were affected by the underwater volcano that erupted um, this last Saturday. No deaths so far, so that's good. Uh, but it did send a tsunami wave of about four feet towards Tonga. Um, the explosion was so loud that it could be heard in New Zealand, 1,500 miles away. The dust apparently covered um, everything, <laughs> literally everything. You've seen those pictures mm-hmm. where they slide the map back and forth. I don't have it on the screen here, but um, it's like the before and it's after. Like a- Right, right. Um, so it literally covered everything. Contaminated drinking water. Um, it it's a it's one of the hugest uh, volcano eruptions in recent history. And it's massive. So if you look like at the size of uh, an exp- of of the cloud or smoke cover over like a period of one hour, how it expanded, it's um, mm-hmm. which one did we see? We saw. We saw compared to mm-hmm. Manhattan for like the initial explosion, and then afterwards the the I guess the dust cloud or whatever it was mm-hmm. grew to like the size of a small country. Yeah, like, <laughs> like Spain was covered, or like Great Britain would be fully covered by it. Oh, Florida! Yeah, when they overlaid the maps, Florida. If you put it on top of Florida, I mean, it goes beyond the you know, uh, east and west coast. Like, it just goes all over. Huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, internet- it's funny. I was looking I was looking for Tonga on the on the map, and it just shows, like, a dot in the middle of the ocean. I was like, oh, <laughs> there we go. It's crazy that it turned those, like, tropical islands into basically a moonscape for a short yeah. time. Internet, phone lines were down. Uh, Tonga itself has about 105,000 residents. Uh, for the longest time, nobody knew what's you know what are the consequences but of course they got flooded just a bunch of ash and you know the other part that's interesting is that um the sulfur in the air in the atmosphere that it releases apparently causes temporary mm-hmm. it's called temporary volcanic cooling now i've got a graph up here on this on the screen in front of me and you could see that uh starting in 1880s is when they kept track of this data Every time there's a huge volcano eruption, at least for the next, uh, I want to say, year or so, there's, you see that? There's a dramatic drop in, mm-hmm. uh, like, average temperatures in the world. Isn't it interesting? Like, there's literally a dip, yeah. and then it goes up. So, because yeah, of I, that... I hear, a lot of st- yeah. I hear a lot of that stuff where it's, like, a, a nuclear explosion, right? It would... It would basically have a lot of the same effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and eventually it goes it goes out of the atmosphere. But yeah, uh, it's probably going to get colder. Not super colder, but it, it literally the difference is hmm, less than a degree. 
I mean, you see that because we're talking about plus one, plus three. Mm-hmm. So this is like very, very minor. <coughs> so there's that. Uh, we received the U.S. Uh, we received a tsunami warning on the following morning. Um, I think at ten a.m. Oh yeah, there was like. Yeah, it's funny because we have a community on Facebook where they share news like that and stuff, and the comments were <laughs> were really something. People were well because there was a tsunami warning for Anacortes or whatever, mm-hmm. and people. I mean, most people knew that it wasn't. Most people were not really taking it seriously, but it's like yeah. somebody commented, it was like, oh, it should be all right. We're all vaccinated. <laughs> and like. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. Just it, to give you an idea of the, the climate <laughs> of our of our discourse here. <laughs> yep. Well, Japan also received the warning. And to be fair, uh, parts of California and Alaska did get flooded a bit. I don't know what this website is. TNW? Oh, the next web. Uh, here's an article from them. So 5G is grounding planes and freaking out airlines. We found out why. So apparently 5G is, um, I mean, I'm I'm not very well versed on all the frequencies that are in the air around us, but um, it apparently operates on a frequency that's close enough to um, radio altimeters, mm-hmm. altimeters, radio altimeters. Um, and then um, I guess. Like to tell the plane the up and down, how, how how high up in the air they are in relation to... Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, basically, I mean, regardless of what the specific sure. things do, it's it's like it's sensitive aviation instruments. And so if, if uh, you know, a plane takes off and it sees that that stuff is malfunctioning, that would be grounds to not continue flying, mm-hmm. right? So uh, a lot of that stuff has been happening. Um, there's some investigation going on to whether it's actually 5g causing it or not but um they were saying that they want that immediate intervention is needed to avoid significant operational disruptions to air passenger shippers supply chain delivery of needed medical supplies and they were asking that that 5g would be implemented everywhere in the country except within approximate two miles which is a lot of airport runways at least mm-hmm. in some key airports right so it's either the airlines are wanting, you know, network providers to accommodate their needs. And then it would make sense for the the network people to be like, maybe you just need to update your airplane equipment, you know? Um, And so I can see how there's, there's a big conflict in that, but it does say that there's not a lot of conclusive evidence um, that 5g technology is, is necessarily behind this because I mean, China and Australia rolled out 5g without any issues. Right. Um, and same thing, you know, EU safety authorities saying the same thing and, and from the and from the UK. So uh, I guess it remains to be seen. According to Deadline uh, news site, the world's first space-based entertainment studio and multipurpose arena is to launch in just two years' time and uh, has been revealed as the studio behind the Tom Cruise space film, the groundbreaking studio known as SEE-1, C1. Uh, comes from film producer duo Elena and Dmitry Lisniewski's a newly launched space entertainment enterprise. Again, the acronym is C S E E, and they will dock to the Axiom's world's first commercial space station, uh, called Axiom Station, which is connected to the International Space Station. Right. So basically, 
we're talking about Hollywood going to space. So now to the ISS, to the International Space Station, there's going to be the, actually, I think they're already working on this. There's this Axiom Station, which is like a commercial space station. And I think they're planning to to film Tom Cruise film there in a year or so, or this year, I believe, in spring. That seems like a lot of extra steps. Like, what can you do in a studio based out of space that you can't simulate here on Earth? But that's like the the Hollywood question overall. Uh, you can pretty much exp- like blow up cars and CGI, but where's the fun in that? You want to blow up like an actual Lamborghini, a real one, the one that costs, you know, that you bought for like a couple hundred thousand dollars so that people see like the extravagant damage to, to or extravagant car being destroyed. Same with space. It's like you can totally like we can probably film better on Earth, but it's like, no, this was filmed in actual microgravity. <laughs> a studio in low orbit microgravity scheduled to open in 2024. Right, but this is something that's like a potential thing that the public can visit, right? Yeah, well, public. uh, It'll allow artists, producers, creatives, basically to develop, produce, record, live stream content, right? Venue for production infrastructure for like third-party content and events. So, hey, you want to host your wedding in in, in the space station? There's a way to make it happen. And then uh, finally, to conclude the lightning round, I got this other one that I thought was pretty neat. Um, uh, This 555.55 carat black diamond uh, lands in Dubai. So this auction house, Sotheby's Dubai, has unveiled a diamond that's uh, literally from out of this world. Now, it's like this black diamond in the shape of I don't know, some special Middle Eastern hand symbol, I think is what it said. Middle Eastern palm symbol of the Hamsa, which stands for strength and stands for protection. Um, I think they called it the Enigma. This rare gem was shown off Monday to journalists as part of a tour in Dubai and Los Angeles before it's due to be auctioned off in February in London. This thing landed from space. They picked it up, shaped it into this whatever you want to call it shape it's an odd shape yeah it's expected to fetch five million british pounds 6.8 million dollars a rock from space Come on. that's that's really exclusive i actually think it could go for more than that just because of uh its uniqueness i mean there's people out there paying for nfts you know 20 times more than six million so yeah. that's a big diamond that's i mean with how overpriced diamonds are i mean with a black one like that i don't know what the i don't know what the carrots means is that like a density thing great question have no idea <laughs> but it looks pretty because like i just wouldn't pay six yeah. million for it if you had six million you might <laughs> well that's all for today's lightning round stories welcome back to the main segment of the show uh we have just one more story to get through today so last week, uh, well, I guess specifically January 8th, so it's been, that's not really the main focus, I guess. What we need to know is that the Canadian Parliament has pushed through a new law, um, and it's been a long time coming, not because it's something that we want to see implemented, but just because it's it's been, it's been going through the process for such a long time, and now it's finally been pushed through with relatively uh, 
total opposition, right? It's another one of those giant bills that tries to usher in radical agendas under the guise of something like aid or patriot, or in this case, the unfortunately named Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Um, if you hear anybody talking about the C4 bill, this is likely what they are referring to. So have you heard much about this bill? No, I don't think so. Okay, well, I'll, I'll try to break it down. Um, it effectively criminalizes anyone that's uh, that's trying to provide conversion therapy for uh, what used to be pretty freely called, you know, sexual deviance or perversions. So it's trying to make steps in that regard. So uh, while Justin Trudeau is busy using complex calculations to figure out how he can explain marching in the pride parade while also selling $15 billion worth of weapons to a dictatorship that beheads gay people, uh, the parliament was busy producing this gem, right? So this is straight from Canada's Justice Department website. Uh, here's a quote. Conversion therapy is harmful, even when sought by consenting adults, including because it perpetuates myths and stereotypes that the sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression of LGBTQ2 people are undesirable and that they can or should be changed. Did, did you um, say LGBTQ2? Yeah. Is that like a new? So I guess it. I guess instead of finishing the alphabet thing, they're just adding, they're just putting what number <laughs> of number letters okay. follow. Expect that to increase, I guess, over time. But right now it's two. So that's pretty concerning, right? Like it's, it talks about how anybody that opposes essentially the LGBT agenda is perpetuating myths and stereotypes that you know this is something that people need, something that people need any kind of therapy for. But what is obviously missing and should be readily apparent is that, you know, there's nothing going the other way where uh, where you have uh, children being indoctrinated to uh, to essentially disregard any natural, I don't know what you would say, categorization of, of sex or or relations or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and just rely on the counsel or rely on the guidance of uh, whoever is put in charge of them by the you know, tax-funded institutions, and it's okay to give guidance and counseling if if it's towards that. But anything that opposes that is now illegal. Um, so, in sections, here's I guess what what it specifically gets into. So, sections 320.102 to 320.104, um, it's defining conversion therapy, right? Um, so, conversion therapy means a practice, treatment, or service designed to a, change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual. Uh, B, change a person's gender identity to cisgender. Um, C, change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth. And then onwards, it's repressing or reducing non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. E, repressing a person's non-cisgender gender identity or F is repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. So basically, it's it's criminalizing basically like moving someone in the trajectory of uh, straight cisgender um, and what we would call <laughs> straight cisgender and then normal gender expression and also criminalizing the repression of of someone that for whatever reason wants to oppose that or push against it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so double protection. Obviously, there's a lot to be said about the bill, and I, I don't know if we want to focus all of our time on it, but um, I mean, I know for a fact that all the guys at The Daily Wire probably covered it extensively, uh, but it's still really significant. I'd like to hear your thoughts. 
for, for me, what stands out is that this is an example of where the government is stepping in and saying, hey, even when a consenting adult is seeking this, we're going to be the overriding, uh, I guess, authority over even the desire of this consenting adult individual. That's, that's where it gets um, very concerning. It almost sounds like, you know, like how do we distinguish between this and, you know, I'm going to go back to more like, let's go to first century AD Roman Empire, right? When they did start to, or second century when, you know, the persecution was pretty heavy where they're like, we don't care what you believe, we want you to do this. Or, or even today's, I guess, example of, you know, North Korea or any other kind of country that oppresses, you know, personal beliefs. Um this kind of seems to go in line in step with that, where the government decides what you should be able to do about your thoughts and, you know, the kind of therapy that you can seek and not seek. That, that's very concerning. It seems like an overreach. But that's just from a clearly secular perspective. From a Christian perspective, I guess it's not too, too surprising that, um, you know, with all the push towards, you know, the minority transgender uh, views of the country being now you know, pushed into the government and through the government bills and reforms and laws that you start to see this rotting that began maybe with the minority group. And we, we mean it in a, in a moral rotting kind of manner. Now it's spreading, I guess, through the top systems in the government. People from the beginning of the creation are bent on redefining what it means to be human, I guess, straying away as far as possible you know, it's sometimes not intentionally from what God intended us to be. And this is one of those perversions. From the scientific perspective, I, I feel like there's plenty of, you know, like we, science recognizes that we are sexually dimorphic, meaning that there's only two forms of people, male and female. There, there's no question about it. There's, of course, genetic hormonal anomalies that result in small percentage of people with intersex condition, which is not a third sex or, or a new gender. But this is where, like, we close our, just like an abortion, for example, we close our eyes towards science and we go with whatever we feel like. In this particular case, if people want to feel backwards, if they want to now feel out of this gender dysphoria back into normality as, as they perceive it, the government steps in and says, nope, that's reversing our agenda. I find it interesting the parallels that have to do with how we relate to certain legislature. You could say, like, you brought up abortion. Effectively, what they're saying is, we have an ideology and we're institutionalizing it. It doesn't matter what your personal opinion on it is. This is just how it's going to be. Versus on the flip side with abortion where, where it's like we understand that there can be situations where, um, you know, certain things that are within the that are within the paradigms of the law. Um, but they're like frowned upon by the pro-life community, like for like getting an abortion out of convenience. You know, I'm going on a cruise in five months and it's going to be, you know. Uh, it's going to be a whole thing, whatever. Then you would look at that and look at the moral agency or moral benefit of doubt that the law gives the people, right? Versus the amount of moral agency and moral benefit of doubt that you give to someone who's uh, who's seeking who's seeking therapy, who's looking for um, who's looking for a way out of their out of their mental state, out of this mental illness. I don't know if that's a comparison that makes sense, but to me, it, it speaks volumes about just what kind of people are given benefit of doubt and what kind of people are forced into like this 
rigid institutionalized paradigm. But that's all politics, right? Like if you look at it from a Christian perspective, just this bill on its own, um, it attacks creational definitions of humans. Um, you know, male and female image bearers of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, it undermines the definition of marriage as a union um, because now male and female don't, apparently don't exist. And it's this was something that was instated by our Lord Jesus. And it um, it's especially insidious to legislate that even if even if people seek help with what they're like obviously debilitating mental and spiritual issues, people that choose to help them are doing so at the risk of facing criminal charges. Um, That's very insidious. So there's been a lot of pastors and church leaders that um, voiced their displeasure at this, and hundreds of them took to the pulpits on Sunday and made a point. I made a point of preaching about the church's stance on LGBTQ issues, uh, among whom was John MacArthur. Now, John MacArthur is a a household name in most Christian circles. Uh, he's a pastor of a church in California called Grace to You, um, a very well-renowned, respected teacher of the word, best-selling author, prolific speaker. You can go on and on and on. I used to listen to him all the time on radio, um, and I still like to, but the opportunity doesn't come up too often. Um, there was some news that was connected with him that caused a stir this week, and you may have seen it on social media or, or Christian blogs or news sites. Um, do you know what I'm what I'm talking about? Or? Yeah, something about him being censored. I just didn't know if it was uh, Canada only or this is across, you know, like all YouTube platforms. Yeah, that's that's probably a good representation of, of what people have heard. So there's, I mean, headlines, right, on Christian blogs and things like that where YouTube censors John MacArthur or YouTube flags sermon on biblical sexuality as hate speech um, or... Quote from YouTube, Pastor MacArthur's sermon is hate speech, all caps. Um, so there was a blogger, YouTuber, podcaster, um, I don't know what to call him. His well, his name is Todd Starnes. Um, by my understanding, he made a clip of uh, MacArthur's sermon um, where he says things like, there's no such thing as transgender, you're either XX or XY, that's it, and that's referring to the chromosomes. Um, God made man, male and female, that's determined genetically, that is physiology, that is science, that is reality. This was what was in the clip, um, and he goes on to say that this notion that you are something other than your biology is a cultural construct intended as an assault on God. The only way you can address it, honestly, is to say God made you and God made you exactly the way he wanted you to be. You're not only fighting God in his physical creation, you are fighting God in his sovereignty. You are fighting God in his spiritual relationship to you. He goes on to explain, this is a war on God. Uh, MacArthur said they must be met with love and affirmation to be all God created them to be. I don't know if I'd call that hate speech, even if you stand all the way over there and squint and try to augment it somehow. Like it's, It seems pretty tame. I don't know. Uh, there's got to be a point at which you, I guess, have to say that the Bible is hate speech, right? Because, I mean, he didn't say anything that was outside of the you know, Christian doctrine, which is rest fully on, on the biblical truths. So this, I guess, it's all edging towards the point where it's like, all right, so do we now declare the Bible to be, you know, hate speech? Is that something, you know, that's should be banned or not allowed or not allowed to be read or not allowed to be preached. There's nothing in that quote I read that you wouldn't have heard on mainstream media outlets that gives that gives Christians any platforms. Like I remember watching a, a Joel Osteen of all people, right? He was on CNN with uh, who's that? Who's that British guy? The 
Pierce Morgan, and he asked him about, you know, his stance on homosexuality, and he just referred to the Bible and said, you know, these these words are not changing, and 200 years from now, they're going to say the same thing. And it's like, like by the criteria that YouTube is using to call it hate speech, I mean, that there's so many things that would fall under that. But we see with this implementation of the C4 law, right, that, uh, that YouTube is, in a sense, affirming it. Um, apparently, this was too extreme for their community standards, so they took the video down and, and um, and gave Todd Starnes a, a whatever you call it, like a community strike. Mm-hmm. Before we start fielding accusations about how Chris, how you know we're we're crying wolf about you know persecution or whatever, but um, I mean, yes, it, it was a different sermon than than what MacArthur preached on Sunday um, in response to the C4 law. Yes, it was a different guy's account. You can find the sermon on the Grace to You channel. I ended up listening to it. Um, and yes, it was a short clip with a really clickbaity title. But at the same time, again, YouTube is obviously, the timing is is too, what's the word, serendipitous, <laughs> where it's like this new law is coming in and now you know, it, it's trying to silence any opposition to transgender or um, you know, perversion ideology, and now YouTube is coming through and, and affirming it in this in this community. Granted, there's a lot of stuff that's that's still on the platform that would fall under this, but this is, I mean, this is just one example of the liberties they're they're taking, and it's getting out of hand. Like some of the most obvious things, like we could talk about COVID censorship. You know, they'll use keywords and go through like a really long stream and and find one thing where they you know, find dissenting ideas or even certain people um, when they're mentioned, like their names will be grounds for canceling like that one doctor. Um, I'm not going to name him, but he was on a very famous podcast interview show where he mentioned like he was talking about mass hypnosis. And so that was what everybody was talking about for the last week. And so they basically turned his name into a a reason to flag mm-hmm. uh, to flag videos and content on YouTube and demonetize and things like that just for mentioning his name. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to call it persecution because obviously um, you don't have to look far to find more extreme examples. I mean, listen to our previous episode. There's people that have it way worse, um, but it's undeniably discrimination. Um, and this is the first seeds of uh, criminalizing Christianity uh, that we see poking out of the soil as we see things in the future that are implied by what we're seeing here. Well, that's all for the stories for this week. We are so glad you've joined us for another episode of Life Ring. Please consider following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. Uh, just type in Life Ring Podcast. Also consider sharing it with a friend or a family member that would benefit from a weekly overview of the current events from a conservative and Christian perspective. And as always, we would like to remind you that there is no better news on any given day than the good news of Jesus Christ. He died for the sins of the world so that everyone who comes to him would be saved. We encourage you to seek him if you haven't already. Thank you for listening to Life Ring, and we'll see you next week.